So do you want to talk about what just happened? <laughs> Not really, no. Okay. So I'm still going to talk about it, and we'll see if you cut it out. So somebody had a tweet earlier. And actually, I think this makes it four weeks in a row with uh, tweet beginnings. But they had a thing about um, a photo somebody took inside of um, a rideshare vehicle, and the driver had put a bunch of um, questions because the driver liked to travel, and he was originally from, I think, um, uh, Eastern Europe. And they had a couple of questions on it, which were fun, one of which was... Um, what is the only U.S. state that ends with the letter K? And so I like I had a similar reaction, which again, this will be unpublished audio. And just spoiler, you were you you you, you took the L pretty quickly, but it's okay. Geography is not really my strong suit, Carlos. Yeah, but so have you ever done the the quiz where you look at the the U.S. map? But so you can like I Google this like three times a year, where you go, you Google image search U.S. map, no labels. So you're 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 actually you're you're touching on a sensitive subject for me because one of my few memories of elementary school was in <laughs> fifth grade being quizzed on both state locations and state capitals and failing miserably at both of those memory exercises. What's the capital of Vermont? I don't. I'm not even going to participate in this. It's Bernie Sanders. <laughs> so again, this is gonna. I feel like this is gonna be an onion episode. A uh, friend of the show, Tech Jojo, Joanna Stern of the Wall Street Journal, had a had a good tweet or had a good line in her article where she described Firefox as the Bernie Stan- uh, Bernie Sanders of web browsers, which I thought was was pretty pretty apt. But anyway, so reassembling it one layer. So yeah, I saw this thing on Twitter, and then I I was like, I can't think of it. I spent like a minute thinking about. It. I'm like, no, this is this is a trick question, which again was also your response. And then I I did the Google yeah, image people, search. People are never going to know that part of the show is not going to ever air. Oh well, like I, I don't I, I I'm I'm sure you're not going to air it because because <laughs> of the shame. But um, yeah. So I pulled up the no the no labels U.S. map, and I was like, you know what? No, I'm just going to sit here because I want to do whatever work I was supposed to do, and I'm just going to look for every single one. And you know what? Nobody ever thinks of New York. Like it's it's just it's it's just over there. It's it's too big, but also too too small to know. So, you might be the first person who's ever said nobody thinks about New York. I would I would say that there are many more people who would say basically exactly the opposite. Well, no. So I mean I mean that in two different ways. Well, one, if you think about media Twitter and and like all your Nate Silvers and all your your MSNBC types, they think New York is the center of the universe. But as we've covered on many, many occasions, uh, the Pacific time zone is the one true time zone. And uh, we don't really need them in the media late anymore. But <laughs> but no, when I say like we don't think about New York, it's that like it's because when people think of the United States, they think of two and a half cities. I think they think of New York, actually three and a half cities, New York, D.C., L.A., and emerging, but still not there, and possibly regressing, San Francisco. Mm. Hot take. So yeah, I just think uh, yeah, New York. It, it's like it's like a Prius. It just it sneaks up on you. <laughs> there are there are a lot of Priuses, Prii, Prii in New York. Are there? Uh, I, yeah, I assume so. Mm. Anyway, so that was that was my thing. And again, so this this was an aborted or this this was a, an abandoned um intro, but you know what? That this makes it a four peat. We have outdone the Showtime Lakers by starting four episodes with just borrowed content that I found on Twitter. 
Isn't that kind of what the entire show is, really? Uh, you know what? You're just you're 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 attacking your own. You're you live in a glass house and you're throwing stones at your own house. <laughs> Did you just come up with that now? You've been workshopping that. I'm workshopping. God, I need to. Ha- Where's my textmate window? Okay. Do you have like a, a text document that's just called workshopping, and you just you have your jokes and your takes in there? No, no, there are no jokes or takes. But I'm just saying, I I am I'm losing valuable show titles by not having any of this in here. <laughs> What did I say? Throwing uh, throwing stones at your own glass house? Something like that. Anyway, okay, so let's transition into follow-up. Um, so brief Corona talk. I want to I get your take on this, and this is actually a, a kind of a Twitter thing. And I want you to tell me if this is clever, obnoxious, or really stupid. So we, we've talked about uh, VC Twitter before, right? We have, yeah. Yeah. So there's something that I so somebody shared a slide deck from some it was a prominent VC firm but they had a couple of slides in there where they re, they had repurposed the term BC to mean before covid. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Is this clever, stupid or annoying? Clever, stupid, annoying, bad, awful. Give me some more adjectives. Wait, no, but you but you said clever was one of them. Did I? I think we can go back to the tape and don't well, edit it. We'll, but... we'll edit that. We'll edit that out either. No, this is very bad. Yeah, I, I thought I like I was like it's ninety percent bad, and I'm like actually is this is this clever? And then I was like no, this this is this is bad. It's bad. <sighs> I do feel like there probably will be a um, there will probably be a term for this because it's it's going to be a disruptive event, but repurposing the year zero for coronavirus sounds feels dumb yeah it's bad yeah um oh well since uh, this is gonna be an all twitter episode uh i need to retract a um a chef special or or a fun thing that i thought was fun taking taking a chef special off the menu as correct for i don't it. remember if room rates was a chef special but uh room raider is canceled Uh uh-oh so i just sent you a tweet you don't need to put this in the show notes they they've been doing the thing where so yeah their their whole deal is they rate people who are on like cable news and are giving interviews and that and that was fun for a while but they started this weird trend or this um one of the people one of the two people that has the account has been on vacation or something and they've had some idea where they're just doing um like historic Skype rooms, which is which is a, a dumb concept no matter what. But um, they did one for Anne Frank and then promptly deleted it. But because screenshots are forever, people have been doing it, and I and I think it's canceled now. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like this. Yeah. Uh, what else do we have? Um, did we not talk about the? Congressional tech hearings last year, month. Yeah, we- <laughs> does feel like they were about a year ago. We so they they happened last Wednesday, so shortly before we recorded, and we sort of left it at um, a couple of high level takeaways, and we said, you know, we we'd come back to it as news would warrant, and I I think the only thing we really ended up putting um, in the thing was. Gruber's write-up on um, Tim Cook's opening statement, which I thought was was pretty interesting, and we'll put that in the notes. Yeah, it, it was it was pretty good. Where 
because again Gruber waffles on um kind of his um critical takes and apology or apologetic or defensive takes on apple and yeah it was it was a good way to pick apart a lot of the disingenuousness disingenuity one of those two of what cook said and highlighting what is important about apple and what part of that whole tale that they're spinning about apple as job creator and american success story across um a lot of the um for lack of a better term horseshit that they've been peddling <laughs> all right uh so there's been a couple of things so actually i think this is the four that we, we've moved past all the sad and the and the bummer parts of the show i think it's all up and up from here um Disney Plus, so so whatever our version of Upstream is. So Disney Plus, it's been big news this week that I think they announced on the earnings call where Mulan, which was a movie that was originally scheduled for this summer, I believe. and It was was originally scheduled for March, March. end of March. Yeah, And then they had tentatively kind of kicked it back maybe nine to 12 months, I think, until either like Thanksgiving or early next year, I think kind of how, depending on how the pandemic had been going at the time, that had, that had been a sliding scale. It, it had gotten moved a couple of times. It got moved, I think, to July, and then I think it may have gotten moved one more time to, like you said, the October-November time frame, and then it got moved into just kind of TBD, and then, yeah, now we have this. Yeah, so I think this is actually super interesting. Unfortunately, I actually think we might spend a lot of time talking about this. So there was a big whole hubbub about who's the person who, or who who's the production company or studio that made the Trolls movie? Uh, Universal, I think. That's what I was thinking. But yeah, there was a whole um, dust up between the theaters and Universal because they moved trolls world tour i think is what it's called uh from theaters to like direct to video either rental or sale like after like three weeks just because of you know pandemic and people uh hypothesized of what that would mean for theater and studio relationships and if this thing goes on for a while and people don't feel comfortable going into theaters for a long time how would that impact a lot of big budget movies and, and kind of the distribution channel where we had seen major studios shelve? I think like the Fast and Furious movie, there was a new James Bond movie. There are a lot of like uh, summer blockbuster or like prestige titles that have just been shelved or have been kicked uh, kicked down the road by like at least a year because of all of this. And Disney has been kind of an interesting case because they had that Pixar movie, the Onward, Upward, this uh, something that premiered late February, was it? Yeah, that that came out right came out in theaters right before the pandemic. Yeah, and then that got put on Disney Plus. I think end of April, so very, very, very short turnaround time. And Disney lost a lot of money on that, and also may or may not actually be a good movie. <clears throat> so there's been a couple other things with that. So one, Hamilton, which Disney paid a ton of money for the rights for, was supposed to be an in-theater prestige event that was slated for late next year, 2021, right? Yep. Yeah. And that got released on the day before Independence Day 
for free or or just as part of the Disney Plus subscription, which and we'll we'll get back to this as a, as a comparison point. But now the Mulan movie, which they expected to make a ton of money off of, um, and had been pushed about a year, they've revised plans again, where that is going to be available as an over the top, over the top type transaction, where if you have the Disney Plus service, you can, and again, I think you clarified this, you can rent Mulan, not rent, not buy, rent for thirty dollars. On September 4th. So a movie that was destined for theaters. It is absolutely not a direct video type movie. Is being available. As like a first run type thing. To consumers. uh, This year. And so one questions are. The timing. The rights that you get for the price. And specifically the price. So yeah. So what are your thoughts? So. The rollout of this, which I think kind of gets at a couple of your questions there, was kind of a mess. And I don't know if that's just the result of this coming out through an earnings call comment as opposed to a kind of polished press release or really what the what the reason for this was. But because this is pretty significant news, I would have expected there to be a much cleaner, clearer rollout. And there was a lot of confusion yesterday around pricing and mechanics of how this was going to work. But we do now have, I think, pretty full clarity and actually have a minor correction to what I had previously (laughs) corrected with you yesterday, which is, so you're, you're right about the first couple of parts. One being you have to be a Disney Plus subscriber to even have the right to give Disney more money here. The price is then $30 on September 4th. But then the one additional wrinkle here is that for that $30, this is not a one-time rental like a rental on iTunes or something would be. But rather, as long as you continue paying your Disney Plus subscriptions, as long as you're a Disney Plus subscriber, you continue to have access to the movie if you've paid the $30. So you're essentially buying it sort of kind of well so okay so it's a good clarification and thank you for doing that but it seems like like so that last point that you make where it you retain access to it for as long as you have your disney plus subscription i assume that this movie would be available as just as part of the disney plus catalog without any premium price like january 2021 right well, that's kind of, I mean, it, well, I mean, it's a very, very, very <laughs> minor uh, disappointment in in the whole pandemic. But one of the things I was interested in seeing, which which we've never really gotten to because of the timing of Disney Plus's release and then the subsequent pandemic, is what Disney's strategy was going to be with you know, big theatrical releases and then how they would then migrate into, you know, traditional on-demand and disc sales into rentals and then eventually onto Disney Plus, like what that kind of rollout timeline was going to look like. And we, you know, never really got through a full cycle of that. So yeah, presumably Mulan would have been on Disney Plus just regular at some point. 
Um, but it's kind of unclear as to when that would have happened. Yeah. Um, so then I guess, so to answer, I think I've answered your first couple of questions there. And then to answer your last one about price, I actually think it's a really, really fair price. And I think the only reason it's not higher is because it's tied to the fact that you need a Disney Plus subscription. But I think the idea that big theatrical releases, if we do continue down a road where these become just available, you know, instantly on demand, there's no way that, you know, that you you used Fast and the Furious and the next James Bond movie as a couple of examples of this. There is a 0% chance those movies will only be $30 to rent on day one, assuming that we're in like August 2021 and theaters are still, you know, not really open or they're open, but nobody's going. Um, and, you know, I think I've been saying for a while now, and I think you've, you've kind of largely agreed that, you know, the longer this goes on, the more kind of permanent or semi-permanent change there's going to be to the movie release model. And if, again, if we do get to the point where these day one, um, movies come out on streaming, I don't think there's any chance that they're only 30 bucks. I think 50, 60 bucks is, is probably a lot more realistic. Yeah. So I, I, I appreciate everything you said. And I think most of that makes sense. What I want to push back on or what I want to discuss further is that last part. So how much does like a Blu-ray cost? Like, let's say you were like times were normal and Toy Story 4 had just come out and you walked into your Best Buy or whatever, and you were just going to buy the movie. How much does that cost? So I, you know, I've bought a couple of um, UHDs over the last couple of years. Like I've, I think I've purchased Coco and a couple of the Star Wars movies because Disney's had this thing where they've never made their movies available in 4k on itunes like i've largely gone to just renting or occasionally purchasing movies just just on itunes because i you know i don't want to be bothered with the disc but for movies that i really enjoy that want in the you know highest possible quality i'll, I'll get those on on uhd particularly if they're not available in 4k streaming and i want to say that they're usually like in the 25 to 35 dollar range depending on um like number of special features and stuff yeah so i mean I, I guess that was my question where it feels like this should be priced the same as that maybe and i know this is the wrong way to think about it but be, and also because like I'm, I'm a dumb american like i i feel like it should be then like minus 20 percent because you're not getting anything physical and i know that's the wrong way to think about it but i think that's the way most people think where this feels like it should be $20. Like that just seems like such a easy number where 30 is one of like, I think $20 is kind of the, the new $5 for most people who grew up about the time that we grew up. Is that, is that crazy or is that fair? I think that's about fair. Yeah. Inflation. How does it work? So 30 kind of seems like in the territory of like, if think of it like pizza, if a pizza is 20 bucks, it's fine. If a pizza's thirty dollars, you start thinking a lot about the pizza, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of the same thing here where 
$20 is impulse buy territory where $30 makes it feel like, eh, do I really want to see it? Um, so I don't, I, I don't know. And also then to your point where I understand that the movie theaters, if we're thinking forward towards those other big releases where, because the U S has had such a bad response to coronavirus and it feels like we're not going to get any better direction on that or uh, changes in tone, if you will, uh, for a very long time. I, as we, as those other studios have to see how long they're willing to sit on those films and whether or not there will be movie theaters to go back to the idea that like somebody's going to pay 50 bucks to see James Bond seems really high. And, and I understand where your math is probably coming from that. Cause, and there's no way for, like i uh iTunes to say, are you just like like one dude watching this, or is this a family of six? And I understand where they're trying to now make up for twelve ninety five at at the a m c times six people, and that's where that fifty dollar figure comes in, but I think that also is prohibitively expensive for like single people and couples who don't realize like that's a big chunk of money for something that feels less tangible than what you used to get. So I think that's gonna be very, very interesting. And that's where I feel like this Disney who has been having some very, very challenging quarters due to um, one, the lack of sports into the um, is Disney world still open. Is that like, I we haven't heard much about that. Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. History, history will not look kindly on that, but that's a whole different topic. They've been having some really, really rough quarters. So them, like, I don't think Disney's in panic mode just because I'm like, I don't know how cash rich Disney is because like they're not necessarily, even though they're pricing Disney plus far more aggressively and probably below what the actual value of the content is. Like, I assume they like don't have to account for that as though they were selling that content to somebody else. So that sort of lost revenue doesn't really manifest itself there so i guess like that kind of impacts what position of strength or weakness they're coming at this with and how much of a chance they can take financially on this being kind of like a very costly or risky trial balloon here so that's where again to me 30 sounds a bit high but it's not unreasonable and again like i guess maybe just i'm not that plugged into it this isn't a movie i really like there has been no buzz to me just because like i i don't i is there a reason why this is a buzzworthy movie other than it just being a continuation in the trend of live action remakes of 90s acclaimed disney movies i mean you know the rumors i think have been this is like a 200 million dollar production reactions to the trailers have been really really positive it seems like this movie is similar to the live action Aladdin that they did in the sense that they didn't do like what they did with the Lion King, where they just took a carbon copy of the original animated movie and remade it. They like with Aladdin, they have kind of taken the core story, but then kind of modernized it. But I feel, but I feel like the, the Aladdin movie wasn't that successful. I don't think it was, a oh, it, was it was very, very successful. Was it? Yeah. People, I think, I think what you're thinking of is that, People, and I think this was kind of internet Twitter bubble 
kind of snickered at the first trailer that came out for it. Um, but then the movie itself actually did really, really well. I mean, I super enjoyed it. So take that for what it's worth. I mean, it only made $1.051 billion. That doesn't sound like a lot. That's a, that's a ton. The movies movies that have made over a billion dollars, I mean, it's, it's a growing list now, but it's still not super common. No, $1 billion doesn't sound like a lot of money. <laughs> well, in the times that we're in now, yes, you're, you're not well, wrong. Sorry, it, it, well, it's it's lost that 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 is a joke. I can't not just just for for clarification, editor's notes. I, I'm kidding. One billion dollars is still a lot of money. Yes. So okay, so so going back to you know, putting the layers of the onion back together here, mm-hmm. um, I, I I'm coming at the pricing um, from a little bit of a different angle as well. Like everything about you've said about the theater is also part of part of my thinking. But the other thing that I'm thinking about is that. I think as we see more studios do this, and I and I I think we will see more studios do this because they just you just can't sit on movies forever. You start to then impact schedules for future movies. I mean, we've we've already seen a lot of studios, you know, push back late 2020 releases into like or I'm sorry, late 2021 releases into like 2022. There are lots of scenarios where that might not even be a long enough period of time. And so because of that, you're going to have situations where studios are going to have to make decisions and and do things like making these movies just available online. And I think one of the things they're going to be really, really careful of is not setting an artificially low price that they can then never kind of take back. Like, I don't think Disney or any of these other studios wants to have what happened to music happen to movies where People were used to paying eighteen to twenty dollars for a single album, and then now they pay nine ninety nine a month and have access to every single song ever created. And I don't think that movie studios want to set the expectation that a brand new temple release is only going to cost you like twenty bucks to instantly view at home. Because if they if they were ever do that, they can't ever take it back. <sighs> I think that's fair. That all that all makes a ton of sense. And and Disney was, I mean, I guess the other thing I'd, I'd add that kind of ties into that is that you know Disney was pretty forthcoming on the call around this being a total experiment. Like this is not this is not something that they've been um, long in the planning of, and and maybe the haphazard rollout of this kind of speaks to that. But you you make a really good point where this is kind of one of those things where if you set precedent around what something should cost like that that does matter a lot where if this is your first movie but then whatever is the next big thing that's in the hopper like frozen three like if you now try to say that that's forty dollars like that's if you don't do it right from the start it's very very difficult to climb your way out of that and that that's that could be a very costly mistake so that's actually an interesting point right well and, and I, I think that's i mean in addition to this just being a promotional vehicle for disney plus I think them also putting this behind the Disney Plus paywall is what I said earlier, which is I think that's what makes the $30 possible. So if hypothetically Disney were to make other new releases available on demand, and if they ever made the decision to make those available outside of Disney Plus, or at least not require you to be a paying Disney Plus subscriber, then charging, I don't know, 40 to 60 bucks 
they could just point to the fact to say, hey, you know, that $30 pricing, that's if you're a, that's if you're a Disney Plus subscriber. Like, I, don't th- I think they want to be very careful about not saying that all of our new theatrical releases are going to be $30 to stream going forward. Because I, I don't think that's, that's the price Disney or any other movie studio wants to set. Yeah. And I think, it, I think it's a very reasonable um, guess to, to say that if we continue down this future where movie theaters aren't a thing for some long period of time and more and more movies come out this way pricing's probably going to be a little too high at first and movie studios will have to react to that. But I mean, there's a ton of um, complications if we get to the point where movie theaters aren't a thing for a long time. Movies are coming out on streaming, but because they're, you know, quote unquote overpriced, studios then have to lower the price on them. What does that then mean for future movie production now there's a lot of interesting um consequences of that yeah so two follow-up questions again i I think this might actually be most of the show because like this this is profoundly interesting so let's go let's rewind a month and go back to hamilton so i guess my question is why didn't hamilton get this treatment because if like I feel like it has basically as broad an audience and a very, very captive audience. It being included and debuting on Disney Plus at no additional cost, like, I mean, was a, a huge power move, especially with how much did they spend on the movie rights? Like $75 million plus other stuff? Right. Like, that 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 was a huge value add and an important thing for Disney Plus, but that feels like something that was top tier content that absolutely could, could have commanded $10, $20 or $30 from people on top of the Disney plus subscription. If that was a thing that they are planning to do. So why, why, why is Mulan the, 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 like the stake in the ground? Like why, why wasn't Hamilton? So the other interesting moment that we're in, which is specific to, to Disney and their movies is that, Disney Plus is still relatively new. It's it's less than a year old. So they're still very much in the you know promotional phase of Disney Plus. That explains, you know, the low monthly price which we've talked about a bunch on the show. And I think Disney viewed Hamilton as a promotional vehicle for Disney Plus. I, I don't think we talked about this on the show, but Disney ended the free trial option for Disney Plus the day that Hamilton came out. And that's no that's no coincidence, obviously. So Hamilton was very clearly um positioned as being a way to just get more people to sign up for for Disney Plus. And I actually would probably push back a little bit on Hamilton having the same audience as a movie like Mulan. I I think Mulan's potential audience is actually probably much much bigger. I mean, you and I are extremely passionate about Hamilton. People who listened to the show 4 weeks ago will will know that, but um I think Mulan's probably got a bit of a bigger bigger following there. <sighs> 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, it, it just feels like something that totally could have... It could have been a similar trial balloon where, like, it's it's still a, a movie that's hotly anticipated is happening in the same time where it's not really feasible to release in the traditional way, and, and they're um, playing with timelines in that way. And, yeah, I don't know. So I think, I think Disney's probably also just kind of throwing things at the wall, right? Like, I know there may have literally been a conversation where, like, Hamilton, Mulan, maybe a couple of other big releases they have coming up are all just kind of like on a on a whiteboard somewhere. And it's like, all right, what strategy do we want to try with each of these? And what kind of metrics are we going to measure to see how, um, you know, how each of these did? And then which of those models do we want to use going forward? There's And there's a lot of thinking and um strategizing on the fly here i think yeah and then lastly i guess my question is do you think and then this is and this is moving away from being a strictly disney problem but kind of not so far where it's still encapsulated within the traditional movie industry do you think that direct to streaming or like direct consumer releases for the foreseeable future, probably like the next 12 to 18 months is going to be the norm or people are just gonna have to sit on content for a really long time. Do you think long-term or like, like, I guess let's, let's, sorry, let's define that as the next one to five years. Do you think that affects what types of movies get made? Because I, in, in the past decade, we had seen like this big move towards like the summer blockbuster style movies, like super highly produced, big budget because they feel that in the U.S. market and then in secondary markets, which, well, actually Asia is becoming a primary market, where they're able to just make tons of money on a movie that they're not, they have no hesitation about sinking $150 million into because they know they'll make that up 5x. Do you think the risk that people are having to take on direct consumer video and the fact that movie theaters, again, might not be a thing? for a very long time. Do you think that's going to affect what type of movies gets made? So this ties into kind of an evergreen topic that we'll get to someday, which is sort of, uh, you know, post-COVID or, or BC, as as you're famous for saying. You're, um, you're closer to VC Twitter than I am by far, so tread lightly. I, I think that's maybe a compliment. I don't know. I'm just saying don't, don't run afoul of Sand Hill Road. <laughs> Um, you know, what, what things are going to change permanently and which things are just going to kind of snap back to the way that they always have been. And that that's, I think, I think that's a super, super interesting thing to, to think about, but I think it, it heavily connects to what we were talking about earlier, which is how long is this going to go on for? Because I guess in a scenario where let's say, I don't know, nine to 12 months from now, we miraculously pull ourselves out of this and things are getting basically back to normal. Then I don't think you would see long-term impacts to the movie business. You'd you'd see people going back into theaters and kind of going back to the way things were. But if this, you know, if movie theaters aren't really something that people can go to or even if they can choose not to go to for 
18 to 24 months, maybe even longer, then I think you start to get into the realm where you're going to have more permanent change. Because if we go a couple of full cycles where you've got these big theatrical releases that are available on demand, and if that's just kind of what people start getting used to, then that, that's going to stick. That's going to have some, some permanence. So I think it all comes down to, to just how long we're in this mess, which I think going back to that evergreen topic about what's going to change permanently and what's going to snap back to just going back to the way it was, a lot of that's going to be driven by how much longer this goes on. Yeah. So, so to round this out, like it feels like it's going to be a while. Like I just to take this from a very, very US centric point of view, like I, I just it, it feels like we're not going to get our act together for a really long time. And even if we do somehow get this under control, I think the overlap with the traditional flu season and just everything else that's going on, like I think that's it's gonna be a rough go of it. So I guess like, yeah, that that, that is my main question or, or I guess my, my hot take would be that I do feel that when people look at Netflix and Amazon Prime Video, but mostly Netflix, where even though Netflix has had like a really weird relationship with like wanting to make big budget movies, like Netflix is an absolute content machine. And just like you, you look away from TV for a second, there's a new Netflix original sh that shows up there as you went to get a spin drift from the fridge. And they've made a couple of weird, like they made that bright movie, which was apparently the worst. And then they is it wasn't did netflix make bird box or was that a movie did i make that up that's netflix yeah yeah but that was that's what it was called right yeah i think i think so i i try to i try to erase that movie did you watch um, it yeah unfortunately is, is that the yeah. one where the lady's in the canoe with the blindfold yeah it's um it's a tough I will, watch i will never watch it but can you in two sentences explain why she's blindfolded in the canoe there is a like <laughs> mystical force that sort of takes over the world where if you see this thing it's never specified spoiler alert it's never specified exactly what this thing is which is one of many things wrong with this movie <laughs> you see it and then you you instantly are driven to commit suicide and Jeez. so for the handful of people who were left once kind of the the beginning of the of the um episode is over you bit you basically walk around blindfolded to make sure that you that you know you don't accidentally see it got it it's it's horrifically violent disturbing Ugh. and has a completely unsatisfying ending like people were super Actually, you know what? Going back to last week's show, you asked me if there were any other movies that should have gotten an honorable mention other than Mad Max to that movies that everybody else loved that you hated. That's Bird Box is what I should have said was my number two. Did everybody love it? Oh, yeah. People were raving about that movie. Hmm. People love that movie. The lady friend and I, we watched it. We're like halfway through it. I paused it. And was just like, do you do you like this? And she's like, no. Do you? I'm like, no. 
But it was like one of those movies where like you kind of thought it was going to do like an M. Night Shyamalan thing where there might be some kind of cool twist or something, which also like Mad Max. he's also never made a good movie ever. Uh, The Sixth Sense was okay. Uh. Um, And I thought um, that, um, what the heck was that movie called where they had the... um, the um like settlement that like looked like it was in old times but it was actually a modern day ratatouille <laughs> nice uh the village um that had kind of a a dumb a dumb twist that i just gave away but um anyway with, with bird box what was I, talking about? We, we, we were talking about bird box oh okay so was there i was thinking about that or so, about so, my point well, I'll just, I was going to say that, like, when I paused it halfway through, we were like, well, we could just turn this off, or we could, you know, watch the rest of it to see what happens, and, and we unfortunately chose the latter. And nothing, yeah. nothing happens. You don't learn, you don't learn anything. You got, you got screwed by the sunk cost fallacy. I, bingo. Yeah. I actually just saw, I just saw a headline that Netflix is, like, talking about making a sequel to that, which... Ugh. Anyway, sorry, going back to my point. So, yeah, so, um, yeah, layers of an onion. Um, so Netflix has had a really, like, weird relationship with trying to make big-budget movies where they, 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 they try. But also, in terms of giving people value for their money, Netflix actually, they produce a lot of stuff. 40% of it's trash. 40% of it's average to good in... 20% of it's great, I would say. Fair? Yeah, that all that Maybe all 50, 30, out. 20. But I feel like, so that's that's where if we enter kind of an entertainment ecosystem where people are either only paying monthly or a concept that I honestly had not thought about before, or I guess that's the part of the Mulan thing that I find most interesting of the Disney Plus requirement is it feels like if you have an over-the-top service or a streaming subscription service that whatever you pay monthly is what it is. And if you want to have stuff that's separate from it, cool. But it feels weird to tie that together where you now have kind of like this like pay-per-view situation in the thing that you're already paying monthly for. Not that that's wrong or that I would have like any issue with it if they were still like selling that movie for $30. But it feels weird that it's you're eventually going to have a section of Disney Plus that is like Disney Plus Premium Peacock or whatever. Where I don't you know. I don't have... know if. Hmm? I I don't know if I don't know if we'll actually have that. But 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 finish finish your point. Well, I mean, it, just, it just feels weird for that to be a, a separate thing. But again, overall, to, to wrap up my Netflix point, which is like I feel like if we're going to get to that point, people maybe don't care that much about the difference between something that is well done and cost five million dollars to make and something that's well done or really well done that costs 200 so i do feel like if we no longer have what we two years ago thought of as the summer movie going experience where people were like where movies were making a billion cracking a billion dollars worldwide that that is fairly rapidly going to affect what gets made and realizing that for a lot of people, the stuff that's going up on Netflix is almost as enjoyable, but is dramatically cheaper, where that probably long term for like the four or five big US based movie studios will rapidly begin to affect what actually gets made. 
is my point or is my hot take. Yeah, I I think that's I think that's totally right, and and goes back to what we were saying earlier about the the way that this stuff ends up being priced is going to have a a huge impact on the types and quality of of movies being made going forward. Um, and you know the the part that I was rudely interrupting you on there was the the whole idea that you're going to have like this premium version or premium section of disney plus i i bet there was there was a a bob Iger led meeting at some point which is basically like we've got two options here we can sell this thing totally outside of disney plus for 50 bucks or we can sell it for 30 but put it inside of the of the disney plus ecosystem and and tie it to having a subscription and i think disney probably got cold feet and i would probably say understandably so with trying to be the first studio to come out the gate and say give us 50 bucks to stream this movie because i mean the internet's gonna well actually more than the internet i I think this would be a uh, this would be a story even like on cable news and stuff like people are going to lose their shit if universal or somebody comes out and 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 is the first one to say you know give us 50 bucks for fast and the furious or whatever well that well and again to round this up like to again to your original point that's where 50 dollars is a complete non-starter like even if i understand you're trying to approximate and match what you were going to make in in the old world or again bc no like that's so just like I, I, I don't know what the psychological term is, but just like the gut reaction to that is no, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't. Like you, you brought up, you again. You made a really interesting point at the beginning of this conversation, which it, it just it doesn't scale, right? Like it yeah. doesn't. Like because there's no way for your Apple TV to know that hey, you're you're one person or you're six people, and that's where the movie theater experience and and per person per head count ticket sales actually does do that. So if this is like, cause that's like the old, do you remember like in the early nineties, this was not a really a thing for us, but like people would like go in to like buy like boxing matches because those used to be like $115 or something on like HBO. And then like 30 people would go show up. Like it's stuff like that, where that's, that doesn't, that doesn't scale to this economy where you have to take a risk on whether you're underpricing or overpricing your content and how much people actually want it. And that's where I guess my counterpoint is that I think if you price it too high, people will just think. Yeah, you know what? I'm just I'm just gonna watch some Friends reruns on Peacock or something. Wait, do they have it? I was free. Wait, who has Friends? Uh, that I think that's HBO Max. I think that's Warner. Oh yeah, yeah. Media rights are complicated. Uh, yeah. As as we might be about to to uh, pivot towards. Oh jeez, um, we're still technically kind yeah. of in follow up. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you know. Maybe the solution to all of this is sort of the um how the the, the shack the. <laughs> The new uh, fast track transponders work. Well, they're not a little, really the that, that new anymore. Yeah, well, yeah but, that's, that's, you... well, but again, they're not. You're not going to have a CHP officer outside your house because that's the whole point. Is that you have the little switcher, and there's also a little signal above the express lane that tells the cops, "Hey, that person said there's three people in the car. Go check that there's three people in the car." Yeah, you you brought too much logic to my joke. <laughs> I think about transit a lot. <laughs> Um, okay, so Harry Potter, I, I couldn't tell if this was a typo when you sent this over to me. Is a apparate a movie or is this a typo? 
apparate. It's it's a it's a spell in Harry Potter. Oh, Leviosa, yes. <laughs> uh, for you knowing, think I would know it, it continues to be a one of my favorite things about this show is knowing that there are topics that you you don't you know very you know very little about because you because you choose not to, but then like. You know more about it than you than you let on. No, no, I just know three percent of everything in the world. Yeah, no, I know. That's I I like that. Anyway, please continue about uh, uh apparate. So this, I mean, I know we're talking a lot about uh, streaming on this show, but I, I think this is just another really really interesting story and a really interesting complication to everybody trying to set up their own streaming service and take all of their own content um, with them. So the, the story here is that Warner, which owns the rights to the Harry Potter movies um, and obviously runs HBO Max, before creating HBO Max, they had signed a deal with um, NBC Universal to have them run the Harry Potter films on streaming services, linear TV, etc. And that agreement actually was going to run through 2025, or I guess still does run through 2025. But they they reached this kind of compromise where. NBC Universal allowed Warner to kind of temporarily take back exclusive streaming rights so that the the Harry Potter movies could be part of the HBO Max service at launch and presumably HBO or Warner, you know, paid NBC Universal some money to do that or gave them a a discount on that contract they had previously negotiated um some, something like that presumably but what this ends up leading to is it's just a total mess for consumers because what's going to happen here is Harry Potter's still available on HBO Max but that at near the end of this month August 25th it's going to go on to Peacock and then at, I think at some point then later next year It'll come back over to um, Warner Media for um, a period of time and kind of go back and forth for a while. Although it's it's kind of um, it's unclear exactly how that's going to work. Um, there's another really <laughs> interesting part of the story too. Well, interesting slash, I think super dumb, which is. NBC Universal, when they get right, when when they have the the rights window, they're first going to make the movies available on Peacock for for like a couple of months. They're then going to take them off of Peacock and put them onto their linear um, cable networks and potentially like some web streaming um, options as well. And then return back to Peacock for some period of time before then going back over to Warner, <laughs> which that strategy seems super 
dumb to me. But um, all of this is just another example of a point that we've been making for a really long time, which is this utopian vision about how cutting the cord and streaming services is going to work is just not what people are going to expect, both from a pricing standpoint, which is what we've talked about a lot in the past, and what people like, I think, Jason Snell are really smart in talking about, which is the rights to this stuff is often a huge mess. So even finding where content is is going to be a lot harder in this new streaming world than it was just by finding the right channel on your TV guide. Yeah. Uh, if I'm being honest, I don't understand most of that, but that sounds insanely complicated because I guess I, I just don't understand how they're going to f- expect consumers to follow that. Like every, it's, it's like going in like on a bike with a bunch of friends, like where you, you get it on Monday and Fridays and you, you can have it on weekends and you can have it over the summer. Like this is really complicated. And yeah, your your point is exactly right. Where it doesn't obviate the need for any, it doesn't allow you to to cut down on your total number of subscriptions. And honestly, like, just if you don't have the long term rights to it, what is the, what is the point? Because they they would have had to have paid some type of premium to make it a Peacock exclusive for a season, or like like a season meaning three months, not a season like of TV. So I don't. <sighs> It just—it sounds like a lot of a lot of hassle and headache over nothing. I mean, presumably some of the right stuff will get kind of self-corrected just over time as these previously negotiated deals expire. Because I mean, obviously, one would assume that Warner, now that HBO Max is a thing, isn't going to be negotiating any more of these types of deals so they'll they'll have more control over their their own content and even even disney's dealt with this a little bit where disney plus has had a couple of movies come and go just as the last bits of um tv and streaming rights have have expired but you know disney's been a little bit more ahead of the curve where disney plus has been their kind of north star as you like to say for for a long time whereas hbo max and peacock and others definitely come across as having the feeling of everybody else is now trying to trying to catch up to something like disney plus yeah okay and then to round out streaming stuff you want to talk about fixer upper for a second yeah we we have to I think we're going to get into an argument about this. So I think, I don't know, my my take when the lady friend shared me shared this with me, um, was it yesterday, the day before, what is time, um, was, yeah, obviously this is happening. <laughs> like, when, when Fixer Upper went off of HGTV, I, I always figured it would come back at some point it's just it was too successful of a show and chip and joanna are are still still in their prime again as you would say so to just kind of walk away from that just seemed like something that made probably made sense for a period of time but but not permanently and then and then when they announced their their own network the magnolia network 
I mean, it just it, the the writing was on the wall for for this to to eventually happen. Okay, so I, I so I have two main points about this, and this might take some time. So first, let's take it from the branding perspective. I just sent you a link. So, and this was at the end of the video that they that one of the one of the two Gaineses is put on Twitter. The logo for Magnolia Network are those the silos? Uh, yeah, I, I believe so. So yeah, so the so the the logo mark for Magnolia Network is is the silos put in a stylized version stuck together where it looks like an M. I don't think it looks very good. It's it could use a little bit of refinement. I think the idea is good though. This is no Seattle Kraken. No. This like again to to do a crossover here. Like this is not don't love it. And then did you watch the video that was attached to the tweet? I have not. You should watch it. It's very bad. It it feels dis I know it's all fake, but a lot of the appeal of Fixer Upper and the uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines lifestyle is that it's always felt vaguely genuine, even though you know it's all fake. Like, I, like I assume they're they're happy married people, like, and, and that's not fake. But a lot of like the jokiness and the the effusive happiness and that kind of stuff, like that is, it, it's structured and facilitated. Fair. Yeah, I yeah, I think that's probably true of just about on everything on. Well, that's that's, HGTV that's it's, it's and, entertainment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I guess so. Watch the video, and then you you can put a link in the show notes to it. But it just it's it's basically it's so it's Chip driving around in a car telling Jojo to not to just be excited and just trust he's going to drive her somewhere cool, and then he's like, oh, anyways, watch the video. But then she's like, oh yeah, he's like, well, I really missed it, and we got we got to do the show again. And she's like, oh, I missed it too a little. And they keep acting like it's not like a business decision. Like, I, I I get it, but, like, it's one of the most successful things that any type of, anybody in this, like, vertical of entertainment has ever done. And if you own the rights to it and you can negotiate that away, or you, well, I don't know what type of licensing they deal that they have with HGTV as to whether or not, I mean, obviously, they're either licensing or they own the show concept or the trademark away from hgtv so like it's not it's not like oh we we were just bored and it's and it's 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 quarantine time and we're tired of the kids and we just got to fix up these houses like it's not that it's it's the fact that this is going to be the pioneering way like they're trying to they've already had all their deals with target they have the whole magnolia like they, they have like not the tv network and the entertainment brand but they have so much stuff on top of like the physical elements of magnolia so like it's it's the way that they're trying to sell it as it just being like a spur of the moment thing is just if it, it feels super fake and, and ingenuine, like I still, I still love them to death, but the video does a bad job of selling it where they, but like with this, this media enterprise that they're about to embark on is not an accident. So I don't know. Like not, not that they, they would be all like just be in the video. Like, yeah, we, we know it's going to make a, a, a whole heck of a lot of money and we're, we're doing it. We're, we're going to do some demo days and we're going to do it. I, like I don't think they're going to do that, but it it felt slightly ingenuine. I don't know, and also the logo is not great. <laughs> I think that's all super fair. Um, and also, so, and and I guess is Magnolia Network like is that going to be like? Does network mean like is this like a um like a, a YouTube channel? Is this a over the top service where you pay seven dollars a month for it? 
is this meant to be like food network where it's cabled on or it's cabled it's carried on like your traditional cable bundle like what is magnolia network i think and i you know i'm i'm no jason snell so i i apologize if i don't quite have all the details here but i i think this is another channel in the it's discovery that owns like hgtv food network all that stuff right no that's scripts which may or may not have merged with discovery thought that was discovery i don't again don't at me it was acquired um, by discovery in 2018 well we actually go. i mean that that would have been right when uh fixer upper ended but yes okay so they're acquired so i believe that this is this is another this is another tv network in that in that kind of family of tv networks i, I think this is meant for linear tv i think but but you can't anymore. Like well, I mean you can, but I mean they also have. There has to be a heavily like they need to be thinking internet and like video on demand first and linear cable second, right? Like there's no way to do something new where you just think people are going to have it on in the background on like channel fifty seven. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't recall. I don't recall when they when they originally announced Magnolia Network. Um. um it actually was supposed to launch this year, but they they delayed until twenty twenty one. And 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 I guess the other downer or like negative take I'm going to have on this is that I don't think Fixer Upper can carry an entire channel. And while I'm sure, like, and while I mean, obviously they they're showing that they have several other shows. Um. I like their number one frequently asked questions. How can I apply to be on Fixer Upper? Yeah, you and everybody else, people. Um, that they have different shows like Growing Florit and Ho- Homework. Yeah, that's a pretty clever show. So I have I have some some real time follow up here. Sure. So there is a there's a network called the DIY Network. Yeah. Oh, they're do- they're doing an Esquire Network thing on this. They're yeah, they're rebranding oh. the existing DIY network as the Magnolia Network. Well, that makes me even less because they've. So do you remember? Do you remember the Esquire Network? Vaguely. So that's a thing that used to be called Spike TV, which became the Esquire Network, which then became the Paramount Network, which again was the one that made that Waco documentary that was advertised on the Daily for like a month. I. When you, when when a like a cable conglomerate rebrands a network multiple times, it usually doesn't go well. I don't know. Like th- this, this worries me just a little bit. Where I just feel like a single show, which you realistically in a year are going to have, because Fixer Upper was a half hour, not an hour, right? No, Fixer Upper was an hour. Okay, so you're going to have so forty. So you so you got you got twenty two hours of TV per year. That's really tough to schedule 24 hours of TV for an entire year around. And while I'm sure they're going to try to make other stuff that is like HGTV adjacent, like that's, that's a, that's a big ask. Yeah, I don't know. I like, I, I, w- I wish them the best and I'm happy that Fixed Rapper's coming back and I hope they do some cool stuff with it. Um, I assume they're going to have a whole lot of, a lot of Zoom rooms and fa- and stuff to say about home offices. And things like that. But I, I like, I mean, the grander Magnolia uh, network ambitions for a couple that has had 
really, really strong success with all the other stuff they've done. I, I know now is probably not an amazing time for their, like, what's it called? Hearth and Hand, the, the target crossover thing they had. Right. Yeah, I assume that's maybe not doing too well in our in our current times. But I don't know. I, I'm skeptical. Like, I, I wish them the best. But it feels like, even though we keep talking about how cord cutting is not as fruitful as people want it to be, I feel like this is a rough time to be launching a new cable network or pivoting an existing cable network and its hopes resting on 22 hours of TV per year. All fair points. Love them to death, though. Okay. Super fast. Earning season. I was going to propose skipping this. (laughs) We never have anything interesting to say about earnings. Well, because it so the Apple earnings is going to pivot into the one thing that we are going to talk about this year, which is so services revenue. It's up oddly. I don't know how they're doing that. I don't know. Are they taking thirty percent of everybody's sales? Who knows? But basically, yeah. So the Apple's earnings they had really really strong Mac and iPad sales. I wonder why. Um, strong sales of the iPhone SE. Their sell through was not bad at all on most of that kind of stuff, and it feels like the closure of the retail stores didn't really affect anything because as we've discussed on the show, uh, the retail stores don't actually matter that much. They're mostly service centers because they have so many other distribution channels to kind of push that burden onto. Anyway, that's it. But something did happen in Apple land this week that is very interesting and or important. What do you think that would be? You're getting another new computer. So around WWDC time, there was this late breaking rumor that there would be new iMacs at WWDC. It didn't really make sense, but, and then of course at WWDC, they announced, um, and I believe I want to bet a very, 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 very detailed roadmap. I I don't don't recall that. (laughs) A very (laughs) excruciatingly detailed roadmap of how they're transitioning away from Intel processors onto Apple silicon uh so uh arm based systems on on a chip they don't call them arm but they're arm so but uh tim did the the steve thing where he said and we have many many great intel products in our pipeline because of course there's still stuff that's going to come out because you can't like you can't redesign six computers like six lines of computers to run on this brand new architecture and like all get that by christmas like that that's just impossible so there is a new iMac that came out yesterday. Uh, it is not very new at all. Uh, most of the updates. So the iMac currently comes in a 21 and a half and a 27 inch form factor. And there's also the iMac Pro that just kind of hangs out over in um, Space Gray Village. So the 27 inch iMac was the one that got most of the updating. So it got uh, an improvement, a 1080p webcam versus the, as we discussed three weeks ago when we were doing our own um offshoot of our non-problematic uh room raiders uh it has an abysmal 720p webcam so this has a 1080p webcam it has the same t2 like arm coprocessor i i I forget what the t2 is referred to as on desktops where it doesn't really power the touch bar uh it now supports double the ram uh we might we might get to that uh, it has the most current 10th generation Intel processors. And I think this is the first time where all of the default 
purchase options are SSD based. You can still get a spinning drive if you choose, like if you prefer more storage space as opposed to all the benefits that SSDs have. But by default, all iMacs are now SSD based. So that all happened yesterday morning. Um, and yeah, it's a pretty interesting update. No, no physical changes. Uh, not a whole lot going on anywhere else. Um, and this kind of gives credence to the fact that maybe the iMac is not going to be one of the first Apple Silicon based computers to get, uh, get that treatment. But yeah, there still are Intel Macs in the pipeline. So you buried the lead here. You, you bought one of these things. Tell us what you bought. We've long discussed my storage issues on my iMac. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this is a five-year-old computer that has been an absolute champ, but it's, it's, it's showing its age. And again, I am constantly running out of storage on this. So yes, it is being, it is being replaced. And eventually there will be a, um, a computer that looks literally identical, but has more, that is slightly faster and has more memory in it. So walk me, I, I have the apple.com slash slot slash shop slash buy dash mac slash imac slash 27 dash inch web page open so walk me through your config here and i'll play along no so i just got the nice one right i i just with apple you always pick the one on the right okay so this is the 3.8 gigahertz eight core processor with turbo boost up to 5 gigahertz 512 storage retina 5k display i have selected it so then i'm presented with Ooh, the first, the very first option is the so, one that so I'm we're, most. We're not, we're not going to do a Syracuse. I, I won't give away the price. I'm just, uh, I just want to know the features here. So the display, standard glass or nano textured glass? What'd you do? Standard glass, just because the way my apartment is set up, like even though I have tons of natural light, glare is not an issue with anywhere I would put put the IMAX. So that's not really worth it to me. Didn't doesn't the nano texture stuff at least on the XDR display? Doesn't it have like some weird? Um... Well, you, you can't touch it. Yeah. Or like if you touch it in any way other <laughs> than with like apart. an Apple branded cloth, it it just turns into dust. Um. So then I'm I'm guessing you kept the standard i7 processor. So that's the thing with this. This is a stopgap computer. Where I've I've literally and it's not an exaggeration. This iMac is almost it, it's a month away from being five years literally five years old and the reason i i decided you know i'm fine let's do this is one i can trade this one into friend of the show mac of all trades and they're going to offer surprisingly decent amount for a five-year-old computer but this is a stopgap computer for the apple silicon transition where i still want a computer that i can rely on while all the kinks are worked out of the Apple Silicon stuff and still runs, even though Catalina is a terrible buggy OS ten release, it's not Big Sur. And if I purchase a computer after October, they're all going to be Big Sur or bust. So I appreciate the ability to have a computer that still kind of runs OS ten as we know it. So to that point... I didn't really upgrade anything. So I got the night, like I didn't get the i9, like spending that money there doesn't really make sense, especially when you know in 24 months, there's going to be an Apple Silicon version that's going to be much better than this. So it doesn't make sense. So RAM, I think I already know the answer to 
um, you kept the standard eight gigabytes and then bought a third party solution for 16. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Shocking. Shocking. Turns out did not choose to pay Apple a thousand dollars for $250 worth of memory. You know, I, I, I alert, alert the times. Um, no. So OWC, uh, which is, which is kind of the go-to Mac supplier for like any type of Mac upgrade. They're kind of like, I fix it, but more, but less I fix it. And yeah, I think it was like 234 or $264 for 64 gigs of Ram. Um, so yes. And I'm guessing you kept, you kept standard graphics. You're not a gamer. I, I don't. I, I don't know what these things mean. And the one part about the the Apple configurator things that I hate is if you click on which option is right for you, what the thing that pops up is absolute, like it's, it looks like it's written. I'm sure it is written by a robot, but it, it, all of these words mean absolutely nothing. That's pretty, pretty good. Um, yeah. So standard graphics. I'm, again, I, I don't game. I, I Lightroom for Mac is not, that great an application like it's, it's a good application but in terms of how well it uses the gpu i assume not very so standard graphics storage two terabytes and i don't have like my the none of my networking supports 10 gigabyte ethernet so and i don't feel like upgrading any of that kind of stuff because my synology doesn't so that makes no sense and yeah that's it that's such a Apple nickel and dimey upgrade, hundred bucks for ten gigabit Ethernet. Yeah, I mean, I assume that's still a very proprietary thing at this point, or not not proprietary, but like a very kind of niche uh, performance option. But yeah, it is kind of annoying. Like, I mean, it, it makes sense that it's a uh, um, a standard on the iMac Pro. But as they talked about on Upgrade this week, have you gotten to it? Uh, the podcast deck, Carlos. It's bad. Well, if you get all that time you spent watching Bird Box back. <laughs> um, yeah, so they had a good point where it is kind of a bummer where it feels like the iMac Pro will probably be like a one-and-done computer. Where just like it, it's never going to get updated. Because that was the other part of this where there was an adjustment where the the 8-core the used to be the default model for $5,000. And then the 10 core was kind of the option that everybody got. And that was the one that was one step up. So that after two years of being on the market is now the default, but it seems like it's extremely likely that that just will probably never get updated again, which even though it's much quieter and has better cooling, it ends up being a non-starter, especially for a computer. I only really intend to have for 18 to 36 months and then resell. So Again, like I, I, the iMac has been great. I Mac of all trades is gonna cover a decent amount of it. So I, I think overall this is not a bad option. So you're now new, new laptop. New oh yeah, so I, I have bought. <laughs> I am, I am, I am the idiot that has bought the last Mac Intel laptop that they're ever gonna make, and the last Intel Mac desktop they're ever gonna make. Or you might be the smart one. Time will tell. Eh. Yeah, probably not. Over, over, I think over the next year or two, you're probably fine. But then once, once the, you know, don't call it ARM, Apple Silicon stuff, um, kind of stabilizes. Yeah, you're probably going to want to move to that. 
I feel like Big Sur is going to be really, really rough. Yeah, that's what I mean. I think you, you're going to want to wait for, you know, Mac OS 11.1 or something to, to, to make the transition. And the other benefit of this computer is there is a greater than zero chance that I will actually be able to hear people on Skype again. So <laughs> that's that. re- I mean, that's really the, the main reason you're buying it. All right, we will kick the rest of this until next week. What you got for Chef Special? I've got kind of a lazy one. Um, It's having live sports back. We've talked a couple of times in the past about, like, are people going to care? Like, are we going to care? I I definitely don't follow sports still in the same way that I did, you know, pre-pandemic, but... But I, I, it has been really enjoyable to 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 watch some Laker games, watch some hockey, and you know, as long as everybody can continue doing that safely and and hopefully in a way that's you know not redirecting resources where they would have otherwise be needed, I'm I'm very I'm very excited to have live sports back. It's a little bit of a taste of s- semi normalcy. Yeah, so have have you is it been mostly NBA? Yeah, mostly NBA because my, you know, my hockey team is is not participating in the the NHL restart, so. Yeah, but I don't know. Again, the the, the Vancouver Canucks are their are their sister team. <laughs> I don't know if they're in it either, but um so how has the NBA been? Because I have again, it's uh, seen seen a couple of clips. I have seen the weird Microsoft Teams integration. But um, somebody was making a comparison on some podcast that it kind of feels like a, a different, like the camera work and the compressed um, court like feel makes it feel like more like you're observing kind of like um, like a street game sort of like what 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 is the difference as a viewer like how how is how do you feel that they've adapted it? Yeah, if it, it definitely has a little bit of a. Um... It's called NBA Summer League. It's all the the so you know t- traditionally NBA season ends early June, mid June. There's the draft, and then in July there's the summer league where all of the players who were drafted, along with some other players who are hoping to be to make an NBA roster, play in this this tournament in Las Vegas. And it kind of has a little bit of a, a vibe that you'd get from watching some of those games. Um, or I've seen the comparison also made to like some international, um, games where it's common with international courts to kind of have like more space around the sidelines, you know, not having like courtside seats and cameramen and things quite as close to the court as is tradition with NBA setups. So I've seen some comparisons to, to that as well. You know, the Microsoft Teams stuff, I was wrong about that. I think I said a few weeks ago on the show that I I thought that was being used kind of sparingly throughout the games. But that's actually sort of like when you look at the screens that surround the court, that's that's kind of the default thing that's on there. And then they'll transition to some other graphics and things throughout the game. But the the virtual fans are are basically on there, you know, probably 80, 85 percent of the time. But I, I don't know. One thing that I've actually been kind of surprised by is both with the NHL and NBA. It's super, super weird watching these fanless games at first. 
but you know, you watch a couple of them and it, you just, you get kind of used to it. It's, it's not the same, but you just, you just kind of like, I don't know when I turn on a Lakers game now, I just, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is what it looks like now. And you know, I don't, don't really think a ton about it. Got it. Okay. So we've been talking about for a couple of weeks, I've been turning over some and replacing some old, um, junky stuff in my house that's been that's made it through a couple of moves and is overdue for replacing uh so last week it was the rubbermaid brilliance uh dry storage containers which are the best um this week i arrive embarked on replacing a lot of uh bedroom stuff so this will be another week where i am confirming and endorsing or giving my my seal of approval to the wire cutter pick so the Nest, not Google Nest, a different kind of Nest. Bedding Easy Breather Pillow is they're pretty good. I, I I it's it's been two weeks with them. They have one of those Casper style, like generous return policies, which is why I felt comfortable ordering it. Um they're pretty great. Pillows are something that's always really tough to find correctly and if you go to the website you can see that you can easily basically uh, adjust the stuffing to literally exactly what you want it to be it comes very very overstuffed and you just make it whatever kind of firmness or um, fillness level that you want it to be um so yeah overall i'm gonna say these are worth it and People should give them a shot if they ever wake up with neck pain or have been looking for a newer pillow. So it's been a little while since I've been in the the pillow market, but these, these seem really expensive. Is that is that not right, or are these a bit of a premium? So this is where again, my I, I have not been in the pillow market just because again my my betting I, I have. And also, spoiler for a future show, I am replacing this god awful Casper mattress that I that I've hated, <laughs> and I've, if it were not illegal, would just set it on fire in the street. Um, I think Marin County has an ordinance against that. I can't tell you the number of family and friends where they've been looking for a new mattress, and I'll say that, um, you know, Laura and I, you know, we we have a Casper, we really like it. But I have a friend who absolutely hates his, <laughs> so your mileage may vary. It's so bad. I had I had to buy so I had to buy a pillow topper because the Casper was so uncomfortable, and because <laughs> with pillow toppers now the the sorry, it, it's it's kind of the lazy. It's kind of like the airline food joke, but everybody always has the joke about how to um, put on a fitted sheet. Putting on a fitted sheet when you also have a two-inch memory foam topper on top of a terrible internet mattress is one of the most frustrating experiences you can do as somebody trying to, um, like, after laundry day. Yeah, the the mattress that I had before we got the Casper mattress was, I, I think, the same mattress I had, like, since college. And I eventually, you know, from Costco, bought a, one of those pillow toppers. And, yeah, you're totally right. The fitted sheet, which is already... A pain in the ass to get on becomes even harder when you add a couple of extra inches of height to your mattress yeah well because I, I, like i'm an adult where i try to make my bed every morning and that 
act of just the fact that like the fitted sheet is frequently almost entirely off the mattress just because you slept on it is, is a very annoying and frustrating thing. So death to Casper mattresses and, um, uh, one and a half thumbs up to almost two and a, uh, two thumbs up. Cause you are, you are right where, and this is the thing where pillows are kind of like, you can go to target and get $20 pillows. So I, like, I don't feel like this is that expensive and it feels like this company basically has like a perpetual 20% off sale. So I think the actual, like, like the price I got this at was $80 a pillow, which, which is, which is pricey, but it it's pretty good. I, I'm, I'm giving it a, I'm giving it a, at 11 out of 10 based off a 14 out of 10 dog rate scale. 